Hello and welcome to our table here at Death and Axes, where I do my best to paint a picture of a grim dark world of horror and blood, while my players do their best to subvert it with hilarious nonsense. My name is Jeff Hawkins, your host and dungeon master. My name is David Ramsington, and I play Ramus Valxador, the Scarred Nomad Ranger. My name is Ian Coughlin, and I play the Copper Dwarf, Basalt Feldspar, Paladin of Mutter Jade. I'm Lacey Canton, and I'm playing Deasim, Swords for Hire. My name is Lila, and I'll be playing Petra, Daughter and Sorceress of the Sisterhood of the Choir of the Stone. Nathan Anderson, I play Dorshan, Seeker of Book. Back in college, we used to sit around a table and roll dice like a bunch of nerds every week. Everything from D&D to Shadowrun, Deadlands to L5R. But over the years, we started playing less and less as we were scattered across the country. While we were reminiscing about some of the shenanigans in our old campaigns, we thought that starting a podcast would be the perfect excuse to get into some brand new shenanigans. The original setting for this campaign is high fantasy horror, which means we have as much blood, violence, death, and spoopy stuff as we do comedy. We also use some salty language. You have been warned. A quick programming note, and you can skip ahead about a minute if you'd like, but none of us have done any podcasting or live streaming before, so there is some uneven audio quality in these first couple of episodes as we figure things out. I, in particular, had an echo in my headphones at just the right latency to melt the speech centers of my brain, so you may notice I had to redub a few sections. I thought about tossing them and doing a quick recap episode instead, but the final quality isn't that bad and the gang just had too much fun to gloss over. Also, while only a few of us have played D&D 5th, we've all pretty much been playing D&D since middle school. Even if we're a bit rusty, most of us have taken a turn as every classic archetype. We've played campaigns in the Forgotten Realms setting that have trekked over every continent, through the Underdark, and across the Astral Sea to every plane. We've met in the taverns at level 1, and boss-rushed the gods of Toril at epic level. So we've worked together to come up with an original setting with some homebrew character options to keep things fresh. We're also using some house rules for things like wounds and recovery, to make our world feel a bit more dark, dangerous, and oppressive. Some of these homebrews and house rules may prove to be broken or cumbersome, and we may tweak them as we go along, but we're not too concerned about the fine-tuned balance because I can always open up the monster spigot and unleash hell on them. I also want to give a quick shout-out to our friend and composer Rob Quillen for the great theme song you're hearing. A link to his website is in our show notes. Another quick shout-out to friend of the show and potential future party member Kelly Bordner for all the graphic design work. So without further ado, let's join our adventurers in the free cities of Ophesia. Decim, we begin with you. The copper smell of blood running down your greatsword mixes with the rotten stink of sulfur coming from the large iron kettle. The House of Chance and Adventure sits in ascendancy here in the Free Cities, and while it's considered bad luck to kill a hermit, it seems unlikely this old man was handing out prophecies or heroic destinies on behalf of the gambler. With this kind of work, more often than not, it's just an old hearth witch or a cranky hunter that likes to scare children off their land. They cower, beg for the blind god's mercy, and you drag them into town to collect a half-bounty for clearing things up. But the skull bobbing in the kettle gives you confidence that you made the right choice in setting an ambush. As you wipe the blood from your blade and cast an eye at the hermit's stew, you hear the young girl's whimpering. Marjorie. He dropped her in the attack, and she's still bound and blindfolded as she struggles on the ground. You can't be certain, but the skull must belong to her older brother Hubert. The mother put the bounty up back in Schattendorf. Two silver coins. Probably everything she has. The hermit likely planned on draining their blood to render their bones for a potion of youth. 
For every 20 years the victim had left to live, such a potion is said to restore one year of life to the imbiber. What do you do? Uh, did I already kill him? Yeah. The body is crumpled at your feet, nearly cut in half. Okay, so I think what I'm going to do is uh, go ahead and um, try and talk to the girl and calm her down before I untie her because I don't look the best and I don't really <laughs> want to scare her. Okay, so what do you say to her? Madri, I, uh, I came to save you and brother. Uh, but I don't see brother. I see you. I need to take you back with me to town. Okay? She's, she isn't able to speak. She's still sort of catching her breath, and she finds herself wiggling her back up to a rock. And uh, go ahead and make um, a persuasion check with disadvantage. Oh, no. Pers okay. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, shoot. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> so that's a five. So the stuttering, stilted, deep voice seems to upset her, and she starts hyperventilating, and she's still trying to scurry away from you. Uh, is there any way for me to just quickly untie her? Uh, you could make a athletics check. Okay, I'm going to try this. Okay, so that's seven, 17. 17. All right, you, you grab her, and you sort of just rip the, the bindings off of her hands, and do you pull the hood off? Uh, I think I want to try persuading her again. Is that okay? Just because I, I think she'll be very uh, freaked out if she looks at me. Okay, I don't really, so I don't really want to look her in the eye. So, so you 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 take the bindings off her hands and feet, but you leave the hood on. Right. <laughs> All right. Try persuasion one once more. Yay, thirteen. All right. Rather than terrifying, she finds your hand on her shoulder reassuring. Ah, uh, Marjorie. I I have to uh, take you town, uh, mother worried. She she catches her breath, and she still kind of wordlessly like nods, and uh, she seems to have calmed down. Okay, I'm gonna take her hood off very carefully and just slowly. That way, she. I don't want to yank it off and freak her out, so I'm going to take it off really slow. How do I work this? Um, I know this is a gamble. <laughs> okay, so when she, as the hood comes off her eyes and she sees the red lenses and the, the, uh, scarf and the hood and the obscured face she is startled but she manages to keep her composure thank goodness Marjorie I don't see brother he's somewhere I I don't know the the last time I I saw him was 
we were walking through the woods together and there was some kind of smoke and then everything went black. Oh, I will uh, check cave. Uh, you stay. Uh, I'll uh, just stay. Stay. Make a persuasion check. Okay, I got an eight. Great. As you turn to walk away, she grabs you by the, like, the the belt or like uh, like a fold of cloth on your pants. Like she, or maybe your cloak. She doesn't. She's she's scared to be left alone. Ah, uh, Matria, I take your hand. Ah. Uh... We look together, yes? Okay. Okay. All right. So do you take her hand or do you just let her hold on to your... Hmm. I think I'll just let her hold on to my cloak. That way I can keep an eye on her, but I don't... I want to keep my hands free in case something happens. Okay. Uh... So I don't really want to go super deep into the cave. I don't assume the cave is very big. Um, it's basically like um, it's only a few feet deep. It's just deep enough for his kettle and his bed and a chest. And uh, there's kind of a a canvas like half tent that he's... Um, set up over the opening. Okay, so gonna I'm gonna my sword's already drawn, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna slowly go into the cave entrance. I'm gonna pull the tent flap back to look in. Okay, make a perception check. Okay. So I got a sev seventeen. Yay! All right, there are. Rusty butcher knives and cleavers uh, around a bloody wooden table, uh, along with a variety of herbs and potions and tonics that all have the smell of blood magic. And in the chest, there is a red metal dagger with runes carved into it. And a few tomes and scrolls uh, that you might have to make an arcana check if you want to identify. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to... Let me do an arcana check then. See if I can identify them. Okay. So with a 10, you, you can identify that the scrolls and the tomes are all blood magic but you can't identify exactly what their purpose is. And the dagger is a blood dagger that's designed uh, to be an arcane focus for blood magic. Okay. These might come in handy. So I'll, take, I'll probably take everything just and sort it out later. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm going to assume I don't see um, I don't see the little boy. Uh, 
No, you see just bones bobbing up and down yeah. in the iron kettle. I had I had a feeling. Okay, and Marjorie sees the kettle. Ah, oh, no. Uh, but she rolled a natural twenty on. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Her wisdom save not to freak out. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> How to tell her this? She definitely jumps with a start when she sees the bones and. She puts two and two together, and she goes from holding onto your cloak to sort of grabbing you around the waist. Okay. Old Marjorie, dear, uh, here, let, let's move away. Uh, you can hug me, yes? Uh, it's okay? Mm -hmm. There, there, pat, pat. <laughs> uh, it is uh, sad. Uh, we will go town. Uh, she just sort of whimpers and nods. Uh, yeah. Uh, let us uh, go. So I'm going to assume um, I can... I don't know, do I have to drag the hermit to town, too? Because that seems a little overkill. So typically, you would collect the head or a hand. But in this case, it might be okay to just bring the girl back? I think I'm going to still have to collect something. I don't want I don't want it like any... Hey, you didn't do that. You just got the kid. You ran away. I don't want any of that. So, um... Shoot. I might have to be gross in front of her and I'm like trying to figure this out. Okay, so uh, well, there's a rusty butcher knife in reach and cleavers. Alright. Um, uh, Marjorie, you uh, cover eyes. I have to do gross. <laughs> uh, I can't no see. Close eyes. Both hands. All right, she closes her eyes. Okay, I'm going to take the rusty butcher knife and just uh, take a whack at his hand because I don't really want to carry his head. That seems overkill. I guess more identifying features would be his face, wouldn't it? Darn it. Okay, so I'll have to take his head. Is there a burlap bag anywhere? Or did I? Oh, yeah. I mean, you okay. could just use the hood that was over the girl's head oh that's true that's a good idea okay so i'm gonna go ahead and uh hack off the head do i just make an attack roll okay okay 14 so that's good right all right yeah, yeah that's enough yay so i hacked off a head yeah and <laughs> and i'm putting it in the sack and i'm tying it up so she can't see it and you're whistling while you when work. you turn around she had opened her eyes. She was watching. Darn it. And she's maybe smiling? All right. I don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> I don't know where to put that in my... Okay. Um, uh, Madri, uh, we go. I have what I need. She nods and follows. Okay. I'm okay if she wants to hold my hand. That's fine. 
Like if she needs that extra little bit of support. Yeah. All right. So you go back to town and collect your two silver. Or, well, actually, do you do you take the silver? Um, how much is the bounty on the head? Two. Oh, I'll take one because I didn't bring back both children. That's fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think I think one. Silver for a head and a kid is pretty good. <laughs> and a sad story. With that grim business tended to, we turn to you, Dorshan. <sighs> After a life spent in the Order's great temple city far to the south in the Republic of Kosht, you have recently been sent to the far-flung edges of the old Dormirian Empire. They call them the Free Cities, feudal serfdoms ruled by mighty despots who built their kingdoms on slavery. They may praise the High House of Valor and the Common House of Adventure here, but as the Low Houses of Discord and Tyranny that truly hold ascendance over these lands. When the Ebon Plague first boiled up from the earth to scar the lands, the northern cities celebrated the fall of empire even in the face of the apocalypse. Nearly a thousand years later, and they still prefer their constant chaos and warfare to the old empire's rigid stability. Ever-shifting borders between rival states, annual upheavals as generals overthrow kings to take their thrones. Every autumn, the lords of the land trade silver and hostages for a peace that lasts just long enough for their peasants to harvest the fields before again picking up their swords for the winter sieges. And yet, united in their xenophobia, they have kept at bay the dragon prince, the mountain kings, the Dristwick forest folk, and even the divine judge of the northern tundra, ensuring their own kind of peace. You've been based out of your order's temple in the holy city of Avonforth for some time now, plundering nearby ruins that were lost to the scar and the search of forgotten knowledge or powerful artifacts that might reveal the old empire's secrets. While you've managed to avoid death in these missions, not one of your hirelings has been so lucky. But the last time you complained about your mook budget to Brother Bertrand, you were given a month of penance labors doing scullery with the initiates. Which is why a shiver went up your spine when they called you in for your next assignment and dropped a one-pound bag of silver on the table. The details are light, but you're to gather a small expedition to study an active outbreak of the ebb and plague. It's one thing to deal with the twisted creatures left behind by a scar, but the risk of infection of a living scar is another matter. You're meant to head to Blood Iron Bastion, the Iron Dwarves' enclave up north. There, you'll meet your contact, Olivine Silic, for more information on the research you'll be assisting with. But after a week of preparation, you've not had one response to any of your bounty board postings. It seems you have a bit of a reputation with the freelancers in the region, so you have to build your team on the road if you don't want to fall behind schedule. A day's walk across the deltas finds you at the border between the territories of Avonfirth and Lutonhut. It's late summer, so the trenches and barricades at the bridge don't surprise you, nor the smell of corpse pyres or the sight of blood clouding the slow-moving waters below. You don't sense the chaotic reverberations of war magic in the air. These old imperial bridges are too important and too irreplaceable to risk such firepower. After all, these soldiers didn't die in some desperate battle to protect their land or their families. This fight was certainly more about posturing and tariff negotiations or some other uninspiring and petty dispute. Despite the heat and humidity, these moments make you grateful for the blue cloak and the heavy chains of your order. It's taboo to kill a seeker priest of book, and your sacred seal gets you across most borders, even in the midst of war. Another day and you arrive in the town of Schattendorf, nearly emptied of the able-bodied by conscription. Just outside town, there is a mile-wide patch of pitch-black earth and charred brush. The scar is recent, but not active, and thankfully it didn't rise up inside the town walls. 
This far into the heart of civilization, these things happen, and the response is typically a swift quarantine and a thorough cleansing of fire. In town, your first stop is the bounty board, and the looking-for-work half is rather sparse. A farm boy boasting about their strong sword arm. A young woman trained by her late father with a bow, looking for work to buy her way out of an arranged marriage. An old man whom you suspect is simply looking to die in battle and leave some small pittance to his family. One entry stands out if for no other reason than the barely literate chicken scratch it's written in. Named Decim. Strong and big sword. Need work? Have killed. The old man who tends to the boards leans over and says, Ten copper gets you directions to where they're staying. I can vouch for the one you're looking at. The creepy fucker just turned in a bounty. Saved a little girl from some heathen blood mage in the hills. What else can you tell me about him? Not too tall, but big with a heavy cloak. Carries a great sword. Descriptive. I pass him the, uh, um, the ten coppers. Uh, he hands you... A small slip of parchment says, Am drink maybe, maybe not town one mile, east black oak. Do I need an intelligence roll to, to <laughs> decipher that? Yeah, go ahead and make a just a plain intelligence. Wow. Jesus. Okay. So with a 19, you remember an oak tree... A little ways outside of town that uh, looked like it had been struck by lightning and charred black to the to the roots. All right, well, I'll head in that direction then. Okay. So you head back out of town and you reach the, the charred black oak and I assume you head east off the road? Yes. <laughs> Go ahead and make a a quick survival check. Low DC. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're Yay. Nathan's digital dice are ridiculous. Rolling like a chair. Right, so with a twenty-three, you pretty easily find your way to a small camp along a path that doesn't look like it's an established footpath, but it's been trod by somebody. Are you trying to be stealthy at all, or are you... No, not at all. Okay. Just roll a, roll a physical die real quick for a perception check. Oh. All right. <laughs> so despite the fact that you're not being stealthy... I was uh, thinking about something. <laughs> That was a three, so even with perception plus four. So that's still only a seven. So. Yay, seven. <laughs> so, Dorshan, you see the camp, and you see a very thick sort of figure sitting at a log, roasting a rabbit. Uh, wearing a heavy black cloak. So I wait for a couple of seconds and then... <clears throat> <laughs> so loud. What? Uh, I assume that this is you and I hold up the slip of paper from the job board. Oh, uh, yeah. Me. 
All right, I'm going to try and place her accent. Uh, history check. So with an 18, uh, sounds mountain elf. And give me a perception check. Actually, no. You you haven't turned around, have you, Decim? I have not. Okay. All right. I'm not concerned about the person behind me. It, it sounds mountain elf. It's not... Uh, but not um, not a dialect that you're familiar with. All right, um, I'll switch to Mountain Elvish, and uh, for the the next part, and say I'm looking for some uh, for some cell swords to uh, um, help me fi- um, find some information. So I'm going to uh, whip my head around and, and look at him real hard. Like, that was almost right. <laughs> uh, you, you'll need more work on the accent. Uh, yeah, sell sword. Hold on a second. So you guys see each other face to face now. Um. Does Nathan need to do a roll? Nathan, describe your face. So I'm a, um, uh, well, tall and um, broad for an elf. I still have uh, some very elvish qualities to my face. Uh, in particular, um, slightly pale skin, um, pointy-ish ears. Um, the teeth are not like sharpened to points like um, someone in my ancestry, but uh, they certainly do have a um, a carnivore's edge to them. Are, are they almost Ferengi? Um, no, not Ferengi. Um, just more like um, half more vampire. Like... Okay, I'm just gonna keep your last history check and roll it over. When you see Decim's face, it's all bandaged and the hood is pulled up. And so you see ruby red goggles and you recognize these are the kind of goggles that an iron dwarf wears to protect their eyes from the sun. But this figure is far too tall to be an iron dwarf. My uh, my apologies on my accent. I'm far more uh, I'm far more schooled in the um, man and dwarvish tongues than my mother language. You are uh, mountain elf, then I assume. I'm going to continue to speak in common because I am trying to work on my my uh, my language skills. <laughs> I do not say that though. So you you don't. Sp- Speak mother tongue. It's like, well, seeing as I am not considered to be an elf, it really didn't seem pertinent. That last oh. one I switched back to common. You, uh, you need worker, right? No, I need sword. I assume you have one? I'm going to lift my sword up in the air like, yep. Are you for hire? Yeah. Uh... And are you willing to uh, follow a, a priest of book to find some information? Uh, as long pay good, I go. 
I um, pull out a um, the bag of silver and jingle it. Oh, it's a lot. Uh, I am interested now. We go someplace interesting? Very. I had just learned a new word, and I'm trying it out. <laughs> um, we're going to need more than just you and me. Do you have any uh, other compatriots that we might hire? No. I work alone, mostly. Fantastic. Um, we're going to need more. Oh. Uh a board in town all right we'll head back i'll head back that way why don't you finish your rabbit <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> um I, I that's the only thing i could think of to say because i don't know any better so uh rabbit good you want I'll um, look at the rabbit and basically just be like, no, thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'll be staying back in town. Just um, come find me at the inn. And give me about a day to try and round up some more help. Name? I'm Dorshin, but you could just ask anyone about the priest of book and they'd point you in my direction. Book? Book, yes, it's uh, we are a religious sect who collects knowledge. You could just priest of knowledge. Uh, new words, thank you. Fantastic. All right, enjoy your rabbit. Thank you. <laughs> you got you got a guy who thinks he's the smartest person in the world. Probably just eye rolled it left and right. Like I'm surprised I'm surprised the top of Nathan's head isn't sore from all the eye rolling he probably did. <laughs> You're welcome. Alright, so Dorshan, you head back to town and yeah, no, this town is empty. You still have a few days travel before you get to the edge of the Iron Dwarf territory. So with that, I will um, go to the inn, um, stay the night, wait for my new sellsword to show up the next day, and then head out back on the road. Uh, I would say that Decim is probably downstairs at the inn when you when you get there uh i'd like to think that i'm punctual oh there you are well let's stay the night and then we can get out on the road i don't think there's anyone no, no, else this is... no this is the next day oh next day yeah yeah let's let's get going As they leave Schattendorf, it will take Dorshan and Decim one day to reach Kahim, so we will now move over to Basalt. Over the past 14 months, you've seen nearly the whole breadth and width of the lands once held by the old Dormirian Empire. They say that on the surface, a dwarf ages a year for every season, but since leaving the Jade Monastery of the Flint Rift Valley, every day feels like a decade. 
From the Copper Canyons, you first traveled west to the Arimi Delta, hoping that the Dragon Empress Aretz's sorcerers might hold answers. In the shadows of her Great Pyramid, you'd have surely been bound into slavery if not for Petra stepping in. South to the Republic of Kosht and the Temple City of the Cult of Book, whose priests are said to hold ancient secrets from before the Ebon Plague. To your surprise, rather than help, one of them attempted to trick Petra into relinquishing your precious mirror. She was always too trusting. Luckily, you were able to step in, recover the mirror, and escape. At the Southern Iron Enclave, your cousins were more inviting than you'd expected, and for a time you both considered accepting their offer to take residence in their city of eternal night. Unfortunately, their preoccupation with taboo necromancy did not provide the assistance you had hoped for. East across Lake Dormer, to attempt a meeting with one of the wizard kings of the Blagosian League. By now you had become travel-worn, tattered robes, and tarnished armor, not the sort to be met by royalty. And despite months of effort, you were never able to penetrate their political game to receive the private audience you would need for the advice you were seeking. East further, a relatively quick journey through the swamps of the Goblin Kings. The less time here, the better. These totish creatures knew nothing of taboo magics, and the wet heat wore on your constitution as much as any wasteland desert. From one of their many ports, you boarded a ship, but after your run-in with the slavers of Arimi, you decided to take the long route around the domain of the Dragon Prince directly to the great northern port of Kahim and your northern cousins beyond. But by now, your coin reserves are running low again, and you were only able to afford a single bunk in communal quarters. A difficult choice had to be made, as only one of you could be seen on the boat, the other would have to find their way by an alternative and dangerous route. A month later now, and you've been at the Blackbird Inn in Kahim for nearly a week, recovering from your voyage. You've never had to endure such a long trip. Everything is still too bright, as your body and spirit are only now beginning to recover. You pour over your journal, making comments and replies in the margins as you read about cramped quarters, the stink of body odor, and the unending seasickness. In the latest page, a reminder that you have a caravan to catch to the Blood Iron Bastion. If they can't help you, perhaps the Steel Citadel. They say they have the only Steel Dwarf library that wasn't taken by the Mountain Kings, and may hold knowledge that was thought to be lost. Finally back on your feet, you pay your tab at the inn and count your coins as you make your way for your appointment. Kahim is the unofficial capital of the Free Cities, and the most populous and diverse city in the region. In practice, it's more like two cities facing each other across the inlet to the Great Bay, connected by an old Dormirian bridge which has grown into a marketplace of sorts. Unlike the rest of the Free Cities, Kahim has put a great deal of effort into maintaining the great architectural works of the old empire, towering and austere structures marked by their hard edges and sharp twisting spires. But even with a population of nearly 200,000, entire districts are nearly deserted, and some blocks are overrun with squatters. At the Empire's peak, Kahim held over a million people within its walls. Even in its return to relative glory, the empty streets are a reminder of what was lost a millennia ago. The people of Kahim are even more diverse than some southern cities. You seem to be the only copper dwarf around, but you do see some of your steel and bronze cousins. You pass a half-dragon noble with their cobalt toadies, boorish orcs acting as bodyguards for a hobgoblin merchant polishing his goat-like horns, a pair of Alturans, tall, blue, and bald, adorned in gold and white silk. Even among the humans that overrun this city, you see all shades, mostly the pale northerners, but also the tan folk from Plagosi and Kosht, and the dark-skinned peoples from across the Lakiran Ocean. As you approach your caravan, make a perception check. Ooh. Ooh. I, oh, I, am, no. I have vision. <laughs> yeah. That's how I like to start my adventure. So you rolled a three on your perception check with well, a natural one. A natural one, correct. All right. Hey, I got um, I got nowhere to go but up, right? That's right. <laughs> I feel I feel like salt just wandered off into the distance. <laughs> okay, so uh, with a natural one, uh, I guess the hustle of the city is just a bit too much for you, and you just sort of wander over to your wagon and pack up your gear. Uh, Dorjan, make a perception check. 24. 
Yay! Oh wait, no, sorry, that my mistake. That was persuasion. Well, you rolled the 19 either way, so it doesn't matter. So you basically see what I described to Salt. Um, you've been in the city for a half day now, searching for hirelings, but even with such a broad population, you have so far been unable to find any suitable candidates. Given the time of year, many of the best mercenaries in the region are still serving lucrative contracts, fighting with all the little territorial disputes between the cities. Uh, but as a stopgap, you have booked passage with a caravan traveling with supplies to Blood Iron Bastion, and this should at least give you some cover and provide a bit of protection on your way there. And uh, as you take the measure of the guards and some of the other wayfarers and passengers on the caravan, uh, one of the passengers off to the side catches your eye. Uh, Basalt, go ahead and describe yourself. So, before you stands a typical copper dwarf, hooded robe, but until he turns to face you, you don't really notice it until he stares right at you. He has a measure of gravitas with his square face, fair features, uh, his blue eyes, and his blonde hair, although hiding mostly under what I would consider to be a pretty heavy cloak, even in the weather, uh, just stands out. He's not afraid to look anyone in the eye. He seems to go from person to person, uh, looking them over, measuring them as well. He's also carrying with him quite a bit of supplies, almost more supplies than one person should carry, but the standout feature would be an easily recognizable, a 10-foot glaive is harnessed to his back. All right. So um, at some point during uh, the, our travels on the road, I will uh, approach. Is this um, before or after you, you leave Kahim? I think after, like when we're on the road. Okay. So... Um, I'll approach and uh, address him in Copper Dwarf. What do you say to him? Um, greetings. Uh, w um, uh, what brings you to um, uh, on this journey? Ugh, God. <laughs> it's okay. No, my my character legitimately does that. Like he, he he's you could tell that he's trying to be charming, but it just does not suit him at all. And Salt, when you turn to face this person who's talking to you, they are wearing the blue cloak and carry the silver icon of a seeker priest of book. And behind them over their shoulder is this five foot eight, three foot wide, <laughs> um, sort of hulking cloaked figure with red goggles. So... So as I turn to look at uh, Nathan, it's kind of like a slow, hesitant measure. As I see him, uh, can I check to see if I recognize if he's wearing a holy symbol or what his robes represent? Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's right there. It's right there? It's, okay. It's meant no, for I, people to see it. There's no secret to it. Like, it's, it's emblazoned. It's, if the robes and the holy symbol didn't give it away, then the wrapped in chains would. Okay. No, that's perfect. Perfect. So I look at you and like I kind of get this like glimmer. I'm like, "Oh, hello, how are you doing? Nice." And then I'll I'll I look over at Desim. It's just like, "Doing." <laughs> um, yes. Can I help you? Um, actually, that's the reason why I came over here. Are you um, um, 
Is there work for you in Blood Iron Bastion? Um, one might say I work in, in hopefully answers, but work, work. Why are you headed there? Searching for um, some information, and I'm in need of um, straw of a sword arm in order to get it. It looks like you have two sword arms standing behind you. I look over my shoulder at Desim, and then I look back. Uh, I would prefer to have as many arms as possible. Well, I'm Basalt. Basalt Feldspar. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll reach over, and, and basically I'll, I'll reach out to just shake your hand. I will um, look down at your hand and then grasp it. It's, it, it's not... Um, it's basically that this person is kind of awkward. No, it, it, that's fine. The the cloak I'm wearing tries to cover most of ev- all of my features, uh, but I, I probably since we are getting ready to leave in the caravan, I would assume, uh, Jeff. No, this is you've just left the walls of Kahim. Okay, so I would be wearing the the chainmail, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I also, um, if you want, I I do wear a holy symbol. So. All right. So, uh, religion check then, Jeff. Yeah. 20. Okay. Oh, good lord. (laughs) You recognize the jade embroidery as a holy symbol of the dwarven goddess Mother Jade. Ah, a follower of Mother Jade. Maybe. Here and there. I'm just, right now, uh, going out and finding my own way. They have some interesting rituals. Um, yes. I'm just going to assume Desim is just looking back and forth between the two of them and just watching them talk and just kind of like watching a tennis match. <laughs> really slow tennis match. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, uh, they do. What, do. what do you know of them? All right. Jeff, was bet 20 good enough to get some informa- more information or should I roll again? Uh... And this is all in Copperdorf, right? Um, yes, until he drops it. If he drops it, then okay. I'll then I'll I'll go back to, um, I'll go I'll go back to the main uh the primary language. Trade tongue. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's nice to talk in the language of the language of home. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. So with a twenty religion check, I would say you know specifically this is a paladin of the Choir of Stone. So he would be charged with protecting a sister of the choir, and the sisters of the choir are the ones who guide and protect the noble bloodlines of the dwarven people and protect the gift of stone speech within those dwarven bloodlines. All right, so having remembered that, I'd be like, oh, yes, it's very interesting how your order protects the... Um, choir of Stone, who are the protect, or uh, who are the uh, the ones who protect the bloodlines of your most holy and royal families. What are you doing so far from home? We get we get right to the questions, don't we? Um, well, uh, out here I'm seeking. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for answers for a question for me and my traveling companion. You don't see a traveling companion. Ah, I see. Who 
Now, so I started looking around, like, where is this companion of yours? Oh, oh she's around. You, you may see her soon. You may see her. But, um, she's, I think she was off, uh, taking care of some, uh, purchases. Uh, purchases or something. Make a persuasion check. Yeah, I know. I'm like, that's... Or a deception. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably persuasion deception. Persuasion or deception. That's probably deception. Yes! Oh. Yes! Is that good or bad? <laughs> no, I rolled a four, and yes, yeah, so... And then a four. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. So, so eight. Uh, I'm just going to say Nathan's passive insight, <laughs> which I can see is more than enough to overcome that... Uh, yeah, no, they're they definitely have a traveling companion, but they are not out buying supplies. Yes. So back to the matter at hand. Um, if you have no job waiting for you at Blood Bastion, um, would you consider um, joining me and my companion here in my quest for knowledge? Can I be frank with you? Oh, please. I travel with you uh, and help you. If you wouldn't mind uh, helping me if you can. You seem like a smart man who knows some things. I'm wondering uh, if, if you could, after I help you, uh, see if you can direct me in my way. I'm, I'm seeking answers to, uh, to some questions. Uh, I'm looking for... Uh, another friend of mine unfortunately fell under a curse, a, a, a terrible curse, and with that, I'm I'm looking for some way to free her. Oh, I would. Um, this has actually piqued my character's interest. Is like, oh, oh, I um, am somewhat of an understudy in ancient curses. Why, one of my uh, um, one of my mentors back at the uh, um, cloisters of Kasht was a uh, an expert in the subject and he kind of took me under his tutelage i've switched into uh out of character i've switched into um common at this point yeah it's, it's probably tough to describe what you're talking about in yeah in copper which is either way you you could see like salt is genuinely interested as you were talking he's probably standing up now like before where he was just kind of like half like hunched over focusing on what he was doing and just reached out a single hand. Now now he you have his one hundred percent attention. Yeah, the last the last priest of book that you encountered was a charlatan and was clearly more interested in the relic than the curse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, perhaps somebody who's more interested in the curse than the relic is making you a bit more trusting. Can I uh, can I do an insight just to f- like I um I, I kind of want to feel his intent and if uh, as well I um oh yeah yeah I I I, I want to also get a sense of I, I'll do divine sense just to make sure. So let's let's see if we can only keep going up. Yes, slightly better. <laughs> this <laughs> I rolled a six uh, with a four plus from a wisdom. Uh, what like, does divine senses do for that? Uh, basically, within a, it's not really a, it doesn't really help me with it anyway my role. But what it does is it, it helps me detect 
good and evil within a 60-foot radius. So not only am I kind of getting a measure of him right now just to make sure, but I'm also... It, it'll it for the person in the back. Yeah, it'll well not not really the person in the back. It, it's just it, it's not really I'm not really focused on anyone else, but it will sweep. Well, these two sixty feet are, in front of me. <laughs> these two are null entities on your divine senses. Sure. Good. Um, I would say Nathan's not making an attempt to be deceptive. The, the entire insight... time I'm rattling on and on about my experiences with studying ancient curses. Yeah, that's what I that's what I figured. So Yeah, I would say even with just a ten, you can tell that he's very interested in curses and he's um very interested in getting you to protect him and kill things for him. <laughs> And so as he's talking, I'm just nodding. And that was, was like, so that was, you know, that that's a that's a story for another time. So, um, when did this for curse first occur? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, of course. So, um, are you interested in the job? Well, again, just just to be fair, uh, what's your name? Oh, um, I am Dorshin. Dorsh Dorshin. Good to meet you, Dorshin. And again, I'm Salt. I just I want to make sure. Uh, I want to make sure I remember your name. Of course, and this is my um, companion, Decim. I put out, I put out the hand, kind of tentatively, like I don't know if you'll take it, but I put it out. I'm just gonna look at it, and then go, oh, uh, this is when I grab, right? Yeah, uh, yes, this is when you grab his hand. Oh, yeah. So I take. Yeah, I'll be like, where are you I from? I take your hand and I, I shake it. What? Where, where are you from? Uh. You don't worry about it. No, uh, I was in the area when we met. Uh, it was, it was the uh, uh, Chatdorf. Chatdorf. That's where I'm from. Oh, I was gonna say I do talk quite a bit, but um, no, if that's where you're from, I like the name of that place. I give a little smirk. I try to smile. <laughs> <laughs> you know that awkwardness of like I'm looking at a masked character. It's like hi. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna mimic you, but you don't see me mimicking you. Yeah, that that's what I mean. You're you're wearing you're wearing a mask. You got the goggles. <laughs> uh, I will give you a toothy grin back. All teeth, all teeth. The big weird no, I, I, I get grin. It. I don't know what I'm doing, but someone's doing a thing at me, and I should <laughs> because that's how awkward it should be. And then maybe I shake your hand too long. <laughs> so, so while you're still holding me, I look back. I look back at uh, Dorshin. I go, um, "Oh, so if you do meet my my traveling companion, so she's uh, same about my same height, little smaller. She uh, red haired. If you see her around, uh, let her know uh, that you have met me, Salt, uh, and uh, let her know that." Uh, I've given you my word. It's important if you meet her before you, before you see me again, that I've given you my word. That you've given me your word. Correct. Just say that to her. It's our, it's our little code for when we travel. Ah. Salt goes on food, right? Uh, it's short for, uh, short for basalt. Basalt. Salt. Basalt. Just, just salt. <laughs> Yes, yes, and I, and I nod, and I'm, 
I like run my hand through my hair. Still like shaking your no, hand. No, I figured I, I like take my <laughs> other hand. I run it through my hair and I look over at Nathan in my short, like look up at him and him. And I'm just like, I just nod to him. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll be with my gear. <laughs> I, oh, I, I have I've, to let go, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's perfectly all right, my friend. <laughs> Decim. Decim. It's good to meet you, Decim. And I smile and I laugh. I'm trying to have. I'm trying to make light of it. Oh, what what is the friend's name? Friend. Uh, her name. Yeah. It, right. Uh, sorry. Just. <laughs> it's been a while since I've uh, said her name to someone else. Her name's uh, Petra. 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 Yeah. Petra. 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 Mm-hmm. Nathan, Nathan um, out of character, most copper dwarves are named after uh, rocks or stones. Got it. Well, it. Yeah. This would be common knowledge, is that most dwarves are named after minerals or types of rock formations. Yeah. One, one thing, um, if you want, Jeff, if Nathan might know this or not, but uh, one of the things just to kind of distinguish ourselves, Lyle and I kind of discussed we do, uh, like, when we say our name, we do, like, a hand symbol, or like, a hand signal, and that kind of signals, like, what I am, like, how far removed I am from the family tree. So if I'm, hmm. like, a far outsider, I'd be, like, my name's Salt, and then I'd, like, maybe grab my pinky or, like, flex, uh, uh, or flex, flex a pinky and thumb, and that's, like, I'm Salt, but I'm on the outer families. Like, people ah. who touch their chest... That that's someone who's like from the core families, things like that. So it's like a little bit of hand. It's interesting. It's it's a way because we'd all have very very similar names. It's a way of distinguishing ourselves. Ah, okay. So where did your character touch? So my when he said my, his name. Um, well, so my character like would grab his hand, would grab his right hand and his right thumb always. Like uh, okay. Yeah. He'd be like, my oh, name's Salt. Can I make a history check to um to know what? The significance yeah, of that is. I think that would be not common knowledge. So, yeah, fourteen. Yeah, I'd say you pick up on that. Maybe not exactly what it means, but it is like a thing that traditionally minded dwarves might do: is sort of, you know, grab their hand or put their hand over their chest or something when they say their name or introduce themselves. Got it. So I don't know the exact significance of it. I'm just going to assume my character ignores it because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And when something doesn't make sense, I just ignore it. All right. So you guys are – so you're still on the road. So I would have – So I w- And I would have gone back and started writing in my journal immediately. Yeah. We cut over to Ramos. Your six seasons on pilgrimage from Dead Scar to Dead Scar is finally complete. You've taken longer than most that went before you, and you wonder if your people have assumed you weren't returning. You still feel weak, but your fever has passed. The images of the cloaked figures you spied upon cling in your memory as you drag yourself across the blackened soil to a nearby brook. What were they doing at that dead scar, and how did they stir it, even if only for a moment? Beginning to ritually coat your gray skin with black clay, you pause and look at your veins, now an ebon black that makes your dark skin seem pale. Your vision swirls and you are drawn back into the darkness. A white throne in a shadowed sea, seated there a figure so dark it cuts a hole in space. 
pulsing with stillness and eye rolls across its inscrutable face to lock onto you. Your heart stops, and your breath is stolen from your lungs as thousands more eyes open across the shadowed sea to stare down at you. You're on your back again, catching your breath, regaining your calm. You stumble to your gear pack. As you pull out your rations to fill your empty stomach, you spot the empty potion vial left by that strange man. After the cultists left and you came out from your hiding place, you were stricken with the very illness you'd been chasing after. You began the meditations you'd been trained with, but you felt yourself losing the battle as your fever spiked. That's when he appeared in the corner of your eye, mixing black earth with withered herbs and some kind of strange broth. Too weak to resist, he propped you up against a tree and poured the strange gray mud down your throat, then sat with you for the first night. It was no cure, but it bolstered your vitality enough to return to your meditations. You assume he must have left when it became clear you'd survive. Four more days and nights you sat in the shadow of that tree, delving into the darkness of the visions you were bombarded with, trying to understand. Now fed and just strong enough to walk, you conclude the quickest way to reconnect with your tribe is to find your way to the Blood Iron Bastion. You've been there once before, and there is a small population of stone elves that make their home there with your ancestral neighbors, the Iron Dwarves. It serves as a sort of anchor point for your people in the region. They should be able to direct you to where your tribe has wandered, so you can be placed in a group of nomads to complete your training. They'll also need to know what you've seen, and you'll need to figure out how you'll tell them. So you drag yourself northeast down the densely forested foothills, and turn northwest towards Sadebeer. After a day, the forest thins, and the old imperial road comes into sight across the grassland. You see a small caravan that is also traveling in the same direction you are. You have two levels of exhaustion as you shuffle through the brush. What do you do? So... I'm well aware that I look a little different right now. Yeah. And um, so after like coating my body in the mud and and then it drying out over the days, I basically look like a walking dust ball, you know? <laughs> like, uh, have you ever seen Powder, the, yeah. the movie? I'm imagining that the the mud and dirt has like, dried on my skin so i fetch from my um pack like a ratty cloak and i uh i brush everything off of my armor and i try to just um approach the caravan very slowly but not um i think i might actually try to sneak up to it but i'll keep my okay. weapons away okay go ahead and make the stealth check it's not so great i got rolled a 13 that's like middle of the road, right? Yeah, I, I rolled a four on the die. So it was Jesus. not very good for me. So it was uh, <laughs> decent, though, if nobody's paying attention. Uh, let's see. What's the land like here? So this is the area between Kahim and Sadebeer. So this is kind of a lightly forested... Um, you're sort of coming out of the forest uh, out to see the... Um, uh, old Imperial Road. Okay, so I'm I'm coming out of a forest, and the I'm just coming upon the caravan. This is, is yeah, it you're sort of trying to sneak actively? up through the through the brush. Is is the caravan is the caravan in sight of the coast or no? Uh, not at this point. Okay, is it uh, stopped or is it actively traveling down the road? Uh, it's going down the road, and I'm just trying to check everyone's passive perceptions. Dorshan definitely sees you. Decim sees you. Salt doesn't see you, and nobody else seems to see you either. I'm blind. <laughs> so, Dorshan and Decim 
you see this cloaked figure sort of sneaking up to the caravan. Their bow is still on their back, but they're, they appear to be trying not to be noticed. All right, so I'm going to yell out, Greetings, friend! Come to uh, warm yourself by our fire. I'm, I'm totally startled by him noticing me. I'm not used to that, so I just kind of <laughs> abruptly stand up and just stand there staring. How, how many people are with the caravan? Like, what, what are we talking, like 30, 40, or like 20, 10? So there's, um, there are two cargo crate, or two cargo wagons and two passenger wagons. And, uh, yeah, there's about 30 passengers who each take turns sitting on the wagons. I'm going to do a weird, awkward wave because I'm just following what, uh, what uh, Dorshan is saying. So I see that they're not immediately like going to try to capture me or they're not, like bandits or something like that. So I just start walking very slowly and um, up to the caravan. I think as I'm approaching, people would notice that he moves with kind of an awkward grace. It's um, He seems um, not like he stumbles every once in a while, but it, he catches himself and makes it almost seem like... He moved that way on purpose. It's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> so he um, he approaches the caravan and stops about 20 feet away from Dorshan, which I guess is still off the road. But by this time, everybody's looking, probably. Yeah, you've got the attention of the guards who seem like they're, you know, a little uh, unnerved by your approach, but they're taking Dorshan's lead in, you know, not drawing and not preparing for a fight. Oh, actually, now that he's close enough for you to sort of make out in the dusk light, Dorshan, go ahead and make a perception check. 21. All right. Uh, go ahead and make a history check. Ooh, 11. <laughs> oh, man. It's almost the lowest you can get. Um, so uh, you can make out that this character is uh, a stone elf. And yeah, that's about it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know anything else offhand. Do you know stone elf? I do not. Uh-oh. I mean, I can... Um muddle my way through mountain elf but I'll, I'll instead just uh, address him in common I just say um, hello I I need help well um, why don't you come over here by <laughs> instead of skulking around and probably drawing more attention to yourself than you're used to that's that's possible. I'm not myself. So I um I kind of stagger out of the you know, the field and and walk a little bit closer, but I stop still distance away, like I'm ready to run away at any minute. What are you? I am Dorshin, a priest of book. Well it's like we're on the caravan to Blood Iron Bastion. I've heard of your kind. You're going to the Iron Enclave? Um yeah, I'm heading 
towards the Iron Enclave. I, uh, I need to regroup with my people there. Is it, uh, is it possible for me to go with you? Um, I'll, Jeff, I'm gonna look him up and down and, and see if I can judge if, uh, he's a, a, a fighter or someone who can help me on my, on my mission. Go ahead and make an insight check. 17. Okay, so this is somebody who is definitely a competent skulker. The bow on their back is treated with great care and well-maintained, but they look sickly. And I'm going to say with the 17, you see through one of the patches of clay that uh, you can make out the black veins of someone who has survived the the plague of the Ebon Scar. Um, all right, so I'll say, it's like, well, unfortunately, this caravan um, requires payment for um, those wishing to travel with it. However, I will be, I was like, I will pay your... Um, um, pay your fee for you. And I'll um, pull out the money and, and pay one of the guards. I'm I am in your debt. So the bag of silver you got in Avonfirth was 100 silver. Ooh la la. And it costs 20 copper to pay off the caravan. Ooh, 20. Jeez, that's a lot. I have, I have money, I think. I look through my pack. Would this do? I, like, hold out one silver piece. No, no, friend. It's on me. Please. Come, let's... Let's talk about your experiences. I, uh... I don't know if I am able to talk about that, but I will do whatever you need. I can help you. I have skill. Yes. Yes, I believe you can help me. Just so I get an understanding for, for future reference, like... Does priests of book have status? Like, is there like, are they like, well... They're not terribly liked, but it is considered taboo to attack one or to to cross one. It's kind of, they have a reputation for revealing somebody's secrets if they cross them. Ah, okay. Just I'm just trying to make sure I can kind of get understand, uh, get a sense of it. And that's that's not to say that it's necessarily the individual priest. It's the church will do it. Like or I should say the cult of book. Yeah, they'll dox you. <laughs> Indiv- individual members don't necessarily matter that much, but um if you if one's on a mission and you cross them, um the church will dox you or release information that they have on your activities or there's any number of things about what using secrets and information that they'll utilize. So it's like going on the old 4chan and pissing people off. You just don't do it. <laughs> you know what? Yes. Actually, the, these guys are very much like um, 4chan or Reddit or any number. Basically, they are magical internet. <laughs> <laughs> don't 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 piss off people on the internet, regardless of whether they're a dick or a nice person. Good to know. <laughs> but the, it should be known that you know it's not. That's not to say that um, it's impossible that it, that uh, the priests of book are 
unkillable. In fact, they are very killable. It's, it's just know what you're getting into. It's it's that thought crosses your head. I get you. Yeah, it's it's basically it, it that's now it's now saying that it's it's bad luck to um uh to kill a priest of book. But that's the commoners. That's the uh, that's the commoners um um saying. Uh, which is boiled down from the royalty saying, which is basically, don't kill a priest of book unless you are prepared to face the consequences. Or at the very least, and the, the secret version of it is, don't kill a priest of book and, um, uh, in such a way that the, pre- that the um, priest of book will know about it. Yeah. Okay, good to know. But yeah, they also, it's, it, they're also kind of somewhat reviled. Yeah, no one really likes them. <laughs> is is Dave hurt? By the way, is he like physically hurt, or is he just looking? He just looks sick. Okay, I'm not there. I'm like he's got a basically he's got a rank of exhaustion. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, already starting out bad. Yeah, I'm not in a good way. But I did it to myself, so that's the part you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. I'm I'm probably in a cart hanging out. All right, so, so yeah, I do, come rest yourself. And um, I was like, where do you want me? I would think you would need to lay down somewhere, maybe in one of the caravans, just to get some something underneath them. Yeah, it's it's getting towards dusk, and you're only about an hour away from Sadebeer, which is the next town uh, that the caravan stops at. Okay, well, I gotta just sit on the back of one of the wagons for now, and... and um kind of stare off into the nothing i feel like every once in a while he just kind of like might be looking past people they're talking to him he's, like, <laughs> he's having like lingering yeah he's having like lingering effects from the scar like uh blackness closes over his eyes and he just can't see anything and he just tries not to make people realize that yeah kind of pulling your cloak around you so nobody sees your veins and and as the sun begins to set, our party, finally assembled, arrives at the walls to the town of Sadebeer, just a few days' travel from the Blood Iron Bastion. We'll go ahead and cap the episode there. So tune in next episode as our party, I don't know, throws a play or something for the people of Sadebeer. I, I kind of blacked out, and I don't really remember what happened, so you'll have to listen in and find out for yourselves. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Please go ahead and give us a rating or a review or a subscription on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And you can find us on all the social media platforms at Death and Axis Pod. We're trying to get a few of these in the can so that we can keep a regular schedule even if something comes up to stop us from recording for a while. If you enjoyed listening to our nonsense, uh, go ahead and tell your friends about us. We're going to keep doing this whether it makes us any money or not, but if we can get enough listeners to uh, either support ads or Patreon, then maybe we'll be able to, I don't know, buy some better recording equipment or uh, hire somebody who's actually competent to edit them uh, and ideally just make it easier for us to get together and record more episodes, which will make it easier for us to put them out with a more consistent schedule and no interruptions. We're going to take this idea from another very popular D&D podcast that shall go unnamed, but if you mention us on Twitter with the hashtag DAANames, we may just name an NPC after you and give you a shout-out on the podcast. So again, thanks so much for listening to the end, and we'll see you next time.